It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, once gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. We had a decisive victory tonight, but also want to thank the other, the opponents that were other Republicans that I, you know, have great respect for, and I appreciate the spirited campaign in which they ran. And now it's on to November against a Joe Biden. Uh, you know, Sherry Beasley will be a total Joe Biden rubber stamp in Washington D.C. And I think it's time for all of us as North Carolina Republicans to pull together and let's go take back our country because we know what would happen with Sherry Beasley in there. You think inflation is bad now. You think borders are bad now. Just wait until she was there. All right. That was now Senator Ted Budd. He hasn't been sworn in yet, but uh, he won handily in North Carolina. And I do mean handily. He was, of course, President Trump's pick. And I think everybody's leading with that. But actually, it was a united pick by conservatives Uh, In that state, a lot of people rallied around him, and for good reason, because Ted Budd has been a congressman from North Carolina for a few years now and really distinguished himself. He is part of the Freedom Caucus. Uh, He is really uh, a true blue conservative and, uh, you know, really good on the issues. So that's that's something that we should all be very happy about Uh, in in North Carolina. North Carolina needs some good representation. Just a sidebar, someone that I know from North Carolina said Richard Burr, uh, Senator Richard Burr, who was really a nightmare for conservatives and a disgrace to the country, I'll just say it. Uh, he had endorsed former Governor Pat McCrory, which actually uh, it helped Ted Budd win the uh, election. I think that's interesting. Just a sidebar commentary, common, uh, comment from a North Carolinian. Now, another interesting thing that happened in North Carolina yesterday in the primary was that Madison Cawthorn, the young youngest man uh, in Congress, serving in Congress, the, the young man in the wheelchair who was such a strong Trump supporter who had this terrible accident not actually that long before he ran for um, a seat in the House and defeated a candidate that was handpicked by um, uh, uh, the head of the Freedom Caucus at the time who was President Trump's chief of staff. I'm just going blank on his name. He's a good friend of mine. I can't think of his name. But uh, he was, uh, medicine was not the first choice because he was so young and inexperienced. And there was a woman, I remember interviewing her, that was very uh, qualified and she was endorsed. uh, But he beat her because he was so charming uh, and said a lot of the really good things. But he was young. I think he was 24 years old. And it doesn't take, you know, rocket science for all of us to know that there's a seasoning that takes place and a wisdom that comes with years. And so there had been so many um, uh, really bad things that came out about Madison. I think people, the long knives were after him because he was a strong supporter of President Trump. He was a defender of the J6 defendants, uh, but also then some terrible scandals. And I don't think they were made up. There were pictures that I saw myself. They were pretty distressing. And so the bottom line is that he lost. He's 26 years old. He lost. He didn't lose by much, actually. I think he uh, was uh, 30. The winner was Chuck Edwards. He won by 30, at 33.5% of the vote, and Madison had 31.7% of the vote. A couple of things about that. Um, 
I, I don't think I went into, maybe I did mention a few things about Madison. I was very concerned about it, and I personally felt he should not win. He should not be the the uh, person that, because it's not, I think there's a problem, and I think he needs help. And as I'm reading more about what's happened to him, I still hold to that. And I just would encourage you, those of you that are believers, to pray for Madison Cawthorn. I think he's in, he's really struggling. Reminds me, you know, Johnny Erickson Tata, when she had her diving accident, Years ago, she went through terrible struggles. You know, now she's just a, she's just come out this, what, 70 years later. She's a woman of incredible faith and just filled with the Holy Spirit, but it was a struggle to get there. Didn't happen easily. So Madison Cawthorn has had, he's been all over the map, uh, and I think we need to pray for him, but he will not be in Congress, and I actually think that's good. But the bad part about this is uh, that uh, the Chuck Edwards was uh, endorsed strongly by United States Senator Tom Tillis, and that to me is another nightmare. Tom Tillis has been um, a disgrace. Okay, I'm just telling you. He's been horrible on immigration. If you wonder why the borders are open, you can blame Tom Tillis. That's just one of the many things uh, that you can blame him for. So he thinks that uh, this the guy that won, Edwards, by, what, two percentage points? Uh, Chuck is is great, and so that's a problem. So Chuck Edwards is probably not so great. Just saying. Um, so you you guys in North Carolina are going to have some hard decisions to make. Okay. So what else happened in North in Pennsylvania where we we really really followed that race? You probably know that Mehmet Oz was endorsed by President Trump. Uh, that McCormick is it John McCormick? I think Dave McCormick uh, was endorsed by um, the money people and the establishment. By uh, he's a, he's a self made millionaire at least maybe billionaire. I'm not sure. Uh, and he made a lot about being America first, but he's probably never really done anything. Uh, but he says the right things, and so the uh, Mitch McConnell people were behind him. And then Kathy Barnett came came up from the behind, who was a the strongest conservative, and a, with a proven record on her on her stand. She was a uh, served ten years in the military. She was a talk show host, but she's also an adjunct professor. She knows about finance. Uh, she has a good resume, um, and she has a passion for the issues, and she was just burning it up. But it looks as though uh, it's. They say that we won't know for a bit because there has to be. They have to have, I think, mail-in ballots and all of that. But at this point, Mehmet Oz is ahead of McCormick by a tenth, two tenths of a point. Uh, Kathy Barnett is back, probably seven points. Six or seven points. So I'm not sure how that happened because the poll yesterday said that she was surging and, and moving ahead. So, yeah, you just, uh, yeah, you wonder. I don't know. So I don't know if it's going to be Mehmet Oz or uh, uh, Dave McCormick, but uh, we'll find out probably in the next couple of days to see what happens there. Uh, whoever wins that race will go up against the Rep- the Democratic nominee, John Fetterman. John is the sitting lieutenant governor. Uh, he is a progressive, no doubt about it, and uh, he's. Uh, this is going to be interesting. He looks like he's an t- interesting character to look at anyway. I read this morning that he either had, I'm sorry that I can't, I think it was a, a stroke or a heart attack Friday night. Uh, so and the report from his campaign is, oh, the campaign carries on, I'll be back out soon, and that's just an interesting little sidebar. I also want to tell you that uh, Doug Mastriano, Mastriano came out easily first in first place in the Republican primary in Pennsylvania for governor. I think that's a great outcome. I think I shared with you, and I will say again, I watched him 
uh, speak on behalf of uh, the on behalf of Pennsylvania, trying to get uh, different delegates to be sent for the election 2020. I saw him just making passion, please, principled, please. I was very impressed with him, and uh, President Trump had endorsed him, and now it looks as though. Well, we'll see. He has to run against the Democratic opponent, and it's it's Pennsylvania. So you just don't know what you're going to get. But that's that's D- Doug Mastriano. So that's that's a good outcome in Pennsylvania from my perspective. Um, let's see. Well, what else have we got here? Um, I've heard that in most of the states, I haven't talked about the Democrats very much, and I haven't done that because um, they're, I just can't embrace their policies. And so to me, for conservatives, regardless of party, the only races that I'm really focused on are those that are uh, the primaries right now where strong conservatives are running. If there were strong conservative Democrats, I would be talking about that, but there, there aren't. They've just purged them all from the party. So, uh, the, but the Democrats, as I understand it, are involved in a bloody inter-party battle between the moderates and progressives, and that's happening in Pennsylvania and Oregon. And speaking of Oregon... Uh, the Oregon governor's race is probably uh, the most interesting, well, that I know of. I don't know the other races, uh, but uh, there, the current governor was one, uh, I, her name escapes me, but she was really terrible on the COVID restrictions. She's ruled like a dictator, like so many have, like uh, the governor of Michigan. And so she's been term limited. She cannot uh, win that. So the Republican, from accounts that I'm reading, it's possible that for the first time in decades or several election cycles that a Republican might actually be able to win Oregon. So then we say, well, who who would that be? And I mentioned yesterday that there were several candidates. Um, from my reading, it looked to me like Stan Pulliam was, he's a mayor of one of the cities there in Oregon, that he was the strongest conservative. But uh, Christine Drazen has the support of the Republican Governors Association, which may or may not be a good thing, but she's in first place right now. She's got uh, out of one, two, three, four, six candidates, she has 23.8% of the votes. So uh, that's what's happening in Oregon so far in the races that I actually know about. So um, that's, um, I know that's a real simple explanation. Idaho, I don't know anything about what happened in Idaho yesterday. Um, just don't even, don't even know. But um, let me just tell you what's coming up, though. Uh, coming up next Tuesday, our um it's the runoffs in Texas for attorney general, and I'm not sure what other races. It's the primary for the Alabama Senate, Alabama, other other races too, but the Senate is the one that's taking up most of the oxygen. And Georgia governor's race and other races there too, but that's the one taking up the oxygen in Georgia. And then the Arkansas Senate, uh, governor's race as well. We're going to have uh, the candidate for one of the candidates for governor of Arkansas coming up in a few minutes, Doc Washburn. So we'll talk to him about what's happening in, in Arkansas. But so just remember, those of you in Texas, Alabama, Georgia, and Arkansas, it's time to go to school uh, and and figure out uh, what you need to be doing next Tuesday because you just must vote. This is really our only chance to save the republic that's legal within the bounds of Constitution and what's legal. So I'm just saying, um, don't, don't, I know we say that every election cycle, this is the most important, but they seem to begin getting not less important, but increasingly more important. And of course, there's the, the uh, school board races and the local races, all of them important. And let me mention to you again that I Voter Guide, I Voter Guide, I, capital I Voter Guide, is a great source uh, for many of these races. Um, I want to tell you a couple of things about what's happening 
in Georgia. This is amazing to me. I don't know if I shared this yesterday, but this is a report. I think I did, but I'm going to repeat it. Someone from Georgia has said, this is from a trusted source from me. I don't know who this is. It's not a public, but it's just someone who is there and they're commenting. The election now is everywhere, large and small counties, with efforts being above anything I have seen in Georgia. The Democratic Party already duplicating what they did in last election, and I think this is on every level. They think they can grow the voters as they did before. Could this be nationwide? And of course, of course it could be. Uh, people, you know, uh, the Republican legislatures in various states, including Georgia, and the governor of Georgia, have seemed unwilling to really even admit there is a problem. Uh, we know that the leaders of the Republican Party in D.C. say the same thing. They want to get past that 2020 election, which, as we all know, is nonsense. I don't know why they don't know that, but they don't. I want to tell you something that I read. This is from Just the News, John Solomon. Just over the week before Georgia's Republican gubernatorial primary, incumbent Governor Brian Kemp and his allies are backing a massive new economic development project in the Peach State and are concealing key details of the agreement from the public. So I'm going to try to make this as simple as I can. According to Just the News, state and local officials in Georgia announced a deal to dole out $1.5 billion of incentives on electric vehicle startup Rivian uh, for it to build a $5 billion manufacturing plant east of Atlanta that will create 7,500 jobs. Now, without going into more details, because I'm not going to be able to, let me commend this article to you, those of you in Georgia. Georgia Governor Kemp allies shield details of major Rivian deal from public view ahead of the GOP primary. It's problematic to spend that much money of your uh, the people of your state. And he has not mentioned it before the election. Has not mentioned it. He's tried to keep it quiet. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Are you ready for the kicker? The kicker is that Rivian is owned by George Soros. Just think about that for a second. $1.5 billion in taxpayer incentives going to an electric car manufacturer owned by George Soros, uh, granted by uh, Governor Brian Kemp. I think that's a problem. I don't really know how to feel about him versus David Perdue. I don't have any insight on that other than impressions from people. Uh, But that, to me, is a problem. And so I just wanted to share that race is next Tuesday. All right, so when we come back... There's a lot of other news, and I have to just decide which of those things I'm going to talk about, so stay tuned. I'll be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. 80% of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen... And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. There are currently pre-born centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love can save a life. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out of pocket medical expenses. 
watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MetaShare has a new option called MetaShare 65+. MetaShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills, and it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MetaShare 65+, is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. And you can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. A stunning story from the state of Florida. 71% of the textbooks used to teach kids about math were filled with lessons on critical race theory. The Florida Department of Education rejected 41% of those math books, citing not only CRT but also Common Core. Governor Ron DeSantis says publishers tried to slap a coat of paint on an old house built on a foundation of bizarre concepts like race essentialism. What's even more disturbing is that many of the math books were being used in elementary school classrooms. Among the issues were word problems that advanced narratives about white privilege. In essence, kids were learning that 2 plus 2 does not necessarily equal 4. No wonder the cashier down at Walmart can't give you correct change these days. To understand what's happening in our public schools, I'd recommend reading my book, Culture Jihad. It's available right now at ToddStarns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. It's pretty straightforward, Paul. There's been a lot of focus on this particular case and some of the rulings from the judge. What does it mean, victory, defeat? My point is that the special counsel from day one, it was incredibly clear that these prosecutions aside, his goal was to use his indictments, use his filings in court to unspool the entire story of what really went on in 2016. And he has done so via those documents, giving us incredible amounts of detail about the Uh, involvement of the Clinton campaign, of Fusion GPS, uh, of how the dossier was created, of how the DNC and Clinton lawyers operated. Um, And and that has now largely got out to the public. Um, And if that was his goal, just to explain what happened, we've got it. 
I mean, he has blown what was the completely false narrative that reigned for years out of the water. Remember, supposedly a bunch of, of good Samaritans uh, and, and, a, and a super spy by the name of Christopher Steele collected really valuable intelligence and was just warning the FBI about the threats of Trump and collusion. Uh, now we find out that, you know, Steele actually got most of his information from a Brookings Institute analyst who was himself getting information from the Clinton campaign. The Clinton campaign ginned all this up, directed it, fed it to the FBI, simultaneously fed it to the press. Um, this was a, a dirty trick, Paul. It was ugly. And Durham really has exposed the, the, the depth and the breadth of it, which was quite stunning. All right. That's Kim Strassel with, uh, from The Wall Street Journal. Kim's a great reporter. That's the most positive spin on what's happening with the Sussman trial and John Durham. And, and again, we've not talked about this enough. There's just not enough real estate. But the trial began this week. They did jury selection on Monday. Uh, the opening arguments started yesterday. I told you yesterday that the jury pool is consisting of, you know, tons of Democratic supporters, people that worked with Hillary Clinton. It's amazing. And they were able to pass muster, maybe because it's in D.C., and most people in D.C. voted for Hillary Clinton and were supporters. I would say surely they could have found people that weren't, you know, actually actively, actively involved with the Clintons, but evidently not. Of course, the judge was appointed by Obama, Judge Christopher Cooper. He's married to Amy, Je Amy Jeffries, who is the lawyer of the FBI agent who colluded to destroy Donald Trump. We know it in living color through the tweets that she sent back and forth. This is Lisa Page with the uh, lead investigator, Peter Strzok, on this from the FBI. Yeah, they were planning on taking down Donald Trump, and so Amy Jeffries represented Lisa, and she's married to the judge on this case that's being brought in D.C. to try to get to the bottom of uh, what John Sussman, who worked for the Clintons, came to the FBI, told James Baker, the chief legal counsel, that he was just, as a good citizen, wanted to share with him something about this candidate, Donald Trump, that he thought was very dangerous. I think it's the uh, this particular sharing wasn't the dossier. It was about the Alpha Bank, which is a Russian bank, and supposedly, you know, the the um, uh, the Trumps, the Trump family was affiliated with this Alpha Bank, and that proved the connection with Russia. And it's, it was completely fabricated, completely and totally fabricated. I have an article here uh, that says the FBI actually deemed the Trump Russia claims false in less than a day, and yet they carried on for years pretending as though it were real because they wanted to destroy the president too. In fact, it's an agent, Scott Hellman, who talked about that. He was part of the team that examined the white papers and data on the thumb drives handed in 2016 to James Baker by Michael Sussman, who was really actually working for Hillary Clinton's campaign. But he said he was just working as a private citizen. Now, the John, uh, John uh, Durham, as I understand it, is trying to make it, well, he's presenting the case in the court as though the FBI was like the innocent party that these outside entities, primarily the F, uh, the people that circle, the universe of the Clintons, were the ones genning all of this up who did everything. The FBI was, were just victims. But we, you know what? In reading between the lines, we know better than that. We just know better than that. We know from Peter Strzok and Lisa Page's e email that they they were all in to try to destroy a president. Something they, This was insurrection. This was insurrection or worse. Uh, but no one, you know, no one's calling it that because we can't possibly get to the bottom of that. FBI um, agent Scott Hellman is the one who said that uh, when they got the information, 
I think the person, he said, I think the person who drafted that white paper was suffering from a mental disability. He said they knew it was, the the agents knew it was false. The CIA, by the way, determined in early 2017 that the data were not technically plausible and were user-created and not machine tool-generated. And it goes on from there. So the FBI knew what they were doing, and they just kept doing it. And that's part of this agent said he couldn't believe they continued with the investigation. And I think there were other agents that testified also. But I want to just, there's more I could say, but I want to end this particular discussion today with this. Uh, this is from uh, um, uh, Sundance, I think is what his, the moniker. In this case, he's writing for something else, but that's what he calls himself. Uh, he says, all media reporting of this case will be done through the prism of their own cooperation in the perpetration of the fraud. The mainstream media knew along with everyone else inside and outside of government that their efforts to create the Trump-Russia conspiracy and collusion narrative were based on fraudulent pretext manufactured by the Clinton campaign. They all knew it. They all acted collaboratively, and they all engaged purposefully. And so what he's trying to say there is to warn all of you, and that includes Fox too, every, that the media outlets um, <clears throat> that uh, were reporting all of this stuff uh, are less inclined to report to you what's actually happening in this trial because they view it through the prism of their own involvement. And they're going to be sort of leaving things out and not incriminating themselves. So uh, look for, you know, One America News is still uh, online. And um, they did a great interview yesterday with Tom Fitton. Uh, Tom and Judicial Watch are pursuing another part of this. And Tom is saying, I was I almost pulled this clip for you this morning, but he said, there, um, he said Durham is hiding. Uh, look, he's not really, I should care, choose my words carefully. For whatever reason, Durham is not willing to go after people in the DOJ and the FBI. That's being omitted. And uh, Tom is saying there's there's some key evidence that Judicial Watch has that they're trying, they know it's true, but they're trying to get more verification and there's a stonewalling going on. So he says, we're not waiting for Durham. We're going to move ahead. Nevertheless, the trial's taking place in D.C. And, um, oh, I, okay, I just would, uh, to, to summarize this, Sandan says that on the first day, the prosecutors who argued the cases, Charlie Savage and Deborah Shaw, uh, made the ca- case that, again, that the FBI was kind of the, the victim in this. And it was like the Clinton universe that were perpetrating this fraud, and they were just the victims. And so he go on, goes on to say, because um, it was a, the question was years ago, if the office of the U.S. president, and more importantly, the republic itself, uh, were to understand that there was a coordinated coup involving all three branches of government, uh, while simultaneously that those in charge of exposing the corruption fear the scale is too damaging for them to reveal. That's exactly what he feels is happening. So Durham is uh, going to go down a little bit, expose some things, but it's not going to be the depth of the scandal when this is over. Nevertheless, it's fascinating to watch, and it's uh, just it's like a, nobody could have written a novel this this incredible. No one could have written a novel that had as many twists and turns and unbelievable plot points. You would read this novel and you'd say, oh, that couldn't happen. That's ridiculous. But it did happen. And it is good that we get that down on our DNA, that we had an American president the, who was uh, all three branches of government attempted to overthrow him from the judiciary, through the legislative, uh, through, through the, uh, the executive branch, working behind him, undermining him, those in the White House. It's just an amazing story. And yet it actually happened. All right. Um, so, 
changing the subject. You know, uh, Elon Musk is in the news constantly about buying Twitter. And I'm finding some things that are happening now really fascinating. Project Veritas has gone under <laughs> underground and caught a couple of uh, Twitter employees yesterday. I didn't have a chance to play this for you, but um, there was one Twitter employee. So it's a senior engineer. He hasn't... Um, I'll get to that in just a second because I can't recall his name. But um, he was just talking about how Twitter is not about free speech. Uh, his accent was so heavy that I didn't play the clip for you yesterday. But he said, basically, we are we are blanking commies. That's what he said. And he talked about how the Twitter staff is so upset and how they do censor and uh, that they can't allow all this information. And it's a clash of worldviews. But now, uh, the next day, uh, Project Veritas released... Another video, and ironically, after the first video went out, I think it was on Monday, uh, Twitter sent a memo around to its employees warning them that Project Veritas is kind of infiltrating, and, and so be careful and don't say much. So ironically, uh, somehow that didn't get into the DNA of Alex Martinez. He is Project Veritas's Twitter lead, lead client partner, and this is what they caught him saying. Let's listen. Well, right now we don't make profit, so it's going to say ideology, which is what's led us to not being profitable. The rest of us who have been here believe in something that's good for the planet and not just to give people free speech. Because again, like these people really do believe in what we're doing. These are the policies we've put in place for misinformation or mislabeling media or whatever. Yeah. Why do you think this should be taken down? Yeah. Like, those are the questions they're going to ask him. Yeah. 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 And it's going to be hard for him to be like, oh, because people should make their own decision. It's like, no, but people don't know how to make a rational decision if you don't put out correct things that are supposed to be out in the public. As an advertiser, as my business, is what I do every day and why I go out is, like, we want it to be as fair and transparent and accurate as possible and if that means there's a level of censorship to make it correct quote unquote again and what does correct mean I guess it just kind of goes into (laughs) the idea of like well what is correct so he's special your special needs you're literally special needs (laughs) so I can't even take what you're saying seriously targeting of types wait 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 wait. you can read it let me see and how to protect yourself Groups like Project Veritas are active right now. What is that? It's like some group that's trying to just out the employees. Like they're trying to go on dates with them like this and record them and then go sell it to the New York Times and say this is what the Twitter employee just said. This is what's really happening. This is what they're telling us to not do. You're lucky that you met me organically because I would be questioning everything about you. (laughs) You're lucky that you met me organically or I would be questioning everything about you. Uh, so he knows the Project Veritas is going undercover, but uh, Alex Martinez, who is the uh, Twitter's lead client partner, whatever the heck that means, uh, was caught on tape. And basically, if you didn't catch it, about Elon Musk, he said he has Asperger's, so he's special. Uh, your special needs, you're literally special needs, so I can't even take what you're saying seriously. That's what he said. And so Elon Musk, um, I wonder what he'll do when he takes over Twitter. You know, there is an issue now about how many tweets, Twitter followers or Twitter members, parts of the millions of Twitter followers that they claim are real and how many are fake. An audit has found that half, 
Literally, 49.3% of Joe Biden's Twitter followers are fake, just for example. And so he, the, the price that he paid for Twitter was based on the number of people they said who use the platform. And if that's not true, he's not going to follow through. So can you imagine that, that guy, uh, these guys are, well, they're communists. Uh, they don't believe in free speech at all, and they are mad. They're worried. They say they're going to walk off. Uh, they're going to leave if Elon Musk takes uh, over. And, boy, we hope that happens. That would be a benefit to the entire country. All right, I want to play something else for you because this is another story that's pretty gripping. Um, you guys hold a break by five minutes, if you would. This is uh, a little boy up in Wisconsin. I know you probably heard this story. His name is Braden uh, Ribadu. He's probably... I don't, they don't say his age. I'm guessing he's 11, probably 11, maybe 12. Uh, but he was in school, and um, he's been charged with a sexual, I believe it's sexual assault, sexual harassment. His mother found out about it because they sent a note home and said he was charged with sexual harassment, and she thought, oh, my goodness, he's, you know, he's t- done something horrible with a girl or something, you know. So she was worried, sick, she goes to the school, and they still don't explain it to her. Uh, and then. The story was told yesterday on Fox. So this is Braden um, telling his story, Braden Rabadou, and let's listen to it. Clip two. My friend was sitting in his chair and he had mispronounced this student and the student had started yelling at him and saying really absurd things to him and uh, profanities that were just absolutely absurd and he just kind of just sank down on his chair and I turned around and I said he doesn't have to use your pronouns that's his constitutional right kind of just to take the attention away from him and kind of onto me because I felt like really bad for him that that was happening to him so I was I was trying to help him out a little bit I was like anxious and scared and upset because I didn't know really what was going to happen, but mostly anxious for my present self and my future self because a charge like that on my record could shatter my chances at getting into a college when I grow up. Yeah, just think about that. Here's this kid. Did you hear what he said? What a kid. Wouldn't you be proud of him if you were his mother? I think his mother is proud of him. She was on on last night uh, on Fox talking about this with him. But I wanted you to hear his words. Uh, this my friend next door. They were they were yelling at him for misgendering. In other words, not using the proper pronouns. And I thought I would just get the I would uh, defend him because I wanted I could tell he was getting really upset. And it turns out that uh, Brendan is a Braden is a really good student. He's a straight A student. Now he's worried about getting into colleges because on his record will be, you know, a sexual harassment. And that's like that's like murder these days almost. It's like, I mean, I know I'm overstating, but seriously, it's a, it's a label that can be so damaging and can hurt his ability to get into colleges. And so they do have an attorney. They're working on getting this off of his record. There are two other kids who are facing sexual harassment charges because they use the incorrect pronouns when addressing a fellow student. It's just ridiculous, which reminds me of what happened to Cynthia Loomis, uh, because this is where our kids are. Cynthia Loomis is a a senator from Wyoming, and she was speaking at the University of Wyoming, and she was speaking at their graduation over the weekend. 
And uh, she basically said, There are those in government who believe not that the Creator endowed us with unalienable rights, as the founders of our nation acknowledged in the Declaration of Independence. But that government created those rights, and that government should redefine those rights, including our right to freedom of speech, religion, property, and assembly, and to keep and bear arms. I didn't read that properly because what she's saying, I didn't emphasize the right things. She's saying that people are now not believing that that the Creator endowed us with unalienable rights, but believes that the government has the right to redefine those rights. And then she goes on to say, even fundamental scientific truths, such as the existence of two sexed male and female, are subject to challenge these days. And guess what happened? The graduates booed Senator Cynthia Loomis. They booed her, and they booed her for a long time. These are college students in Wyoming where you would think it might be conservative. You would think, you would hope, you would hope the cowboys live in Wyoming. But these uh, cowboys are growing up differently. There's no question about it. And that brings me to another story here. This is by Christopher Rufo in the City Journal. And he says, uh, last year the school district, uh, some of this I'm not going to be able to read. Um. The school district of Philadelphia encouraged teachers to attend a conference on um, kink, BDSM, trans sex, and uh, blank beyond binaries. The district's office in 2021 of July of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion sent invitations to the Philadelphia Trans Wellness Conference to teachers and staff at the uh, school district of Philadelphia Connect mailing list, promoting the conference as a way to learn more about the issues facing the trans community. But Christopher went to the conference, and what he did was obtain video that's publicly accessible. Maybe he didn't go. He got them from a publicly accessible website. And um, he said it went way beyond that, way beyond what they said it was going to be. It was a topic such as the adolescent pathway, preparing young people for gender-affirming care, Bigger blank, I can't, I can't, um, life after masculinizing gender reassignment surgery. Prosthetics for sex. I can't read this stuff. It's about the details of sex and how to do it. There were graphic sessions on prosthetic parts, uh, parts, toys. I can't read that. Uh, No age limit, the conference said, because uh, they feel like everybody should be able to access certain information. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in terrible trouble in our country. We're in terrible trouble. I, I, I don't know how God has stood this as long as he has. I'm sure we are where Sodom and Gomorrah was and beyond. Who could imagine beyond? Who could even imagine beyond what we're doing? In fact, this is another piece that I picked up yesterday. These were videos taken and pictures taken by Drew Hernandez. Drew is one of those maverick videographers who goes out in the middle of Antifa and Black Lives Matter protests and takes, uh, he was there uh, when Kyle, um, in in Wisconsin, the trial of Kyle, he was there the night of the burning down of Kenosha and took all kinds of videos. So he's really got a lot of courage. Uh, He went to Phoenix yesterday and uh, went to a pro-abortion rally in front of the Capitol and found this. Protesters holding up signs that say fetus equal good snack. Fetus equal good snack. There were others that were almost that bad. 
This is where we are. It's not all of us, but people among us are living this way, feeling this way, and they're feeling emboldened. Evil is emboldened right now because they can think they can get away with it. Of course, the truth is they cannot. We have a God who will bring judgment. That's the sad part for them. But meanwhile, we have to live with this, and our children are living in this mess, picking all of this up, and that's what grieves most of us. That's why we have to vote and do what we can to stop this. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. Christian parents are on the hook today because they have to identify the threats to the value system uh, that's being taught to their children in public schools. And their job is to protect their kids from these influences. Tune in for Family Talk with Dr. James Dobson. Weekdays at 6.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. on American Family Radio. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our program. God's blessings to you all. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA believes that all men and women, whether in private or public, should be free to exercise their faith without hindrance from the government. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he expressed his awe, wonder, and amazement at the inexhaustible grace and mercy of God in that he saw fit not only to regenerate Paul, but to also find him worthy for appointment to gospel ministry. Paul knows his history as a blasphemer and a terrorist who sought to destroy the way of Christ following. He stands as a witness to the fact that no one, and I mean no one, is beyond the grace of God. Keep praying for your unsaved loved ones. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Paul writes, when one part of the body suffers, we suffer together. This is Bible League International, and the persecuted church around the world is paying a heavy price simply for following the Lord Jesus Christ. Warlocks burn down the home and shanty church that Emilio pastors in Chiapas, Mexico, near the border of Guatemala. And these male witches, they surrounded the homes of church members so they couldn't leave for two weeks. All of this because Christians oppose their pagan worship, but they lovingly share the gospel with those who persecute them. Listen, hundreds have come to Christ, and when I ask these heroes of the faith, how can we pray for you? They never say pray for an end to our suffering because they know God's working through it. What they pray for is that new believers will be able to endure and persevere under tremendous hardship and you can do that when you can open your own Bible and be reminded of God's precious promises. So at $5 a Bible, will you pray about it and then make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD, 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 or give at sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org and God bless you for caring. This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Joe Biden and his partisans clearly think the American people are stupid. They 
relentlessly serve up patent on truths than accuse their critics of engaging in big lies. Take the president's declaration in Buffalo yesterday that, quote, angry, alienated, lost, and isolated individuals are radicalized into falsely believing that they will be replaced by the other, by people who don't look like them, unquote. Actually, Americans correctly regard the Biden team's open border policy as realigning the electorate to make it more reliably democratic. With fraud-prone mail-in ballots in locales like New York now giving non-citizens the right to vote within 30 days of getting there, the addition of millions of illegal aliens could offset the rising revulsion legal voters feel about Biden's appalling record. Calling people racist for objecting to such electoral skullduggery is not simply wrong. These deflections are incendiary and contemptible. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios with you this morning and uh, every morning. By the way, I will be gone the next couple of days. Uh, uh, we're having some <laughs> complications at my house. Actually, Bruce is having surgery tomorrow morning, so I won't be with you, uh, but I'll be back on Monday. So uh, do not fear. I'll be with you. All right, next uh, Tuesday, our primaries in Texas, Alabama, Georgia, and Arkansas. All of them important. Uh, actually, Texas is a runoff. It's not a primary. And so we have talked with our next guest before, but I wanted to talk to him again because Doc Washburn uh, came to my attention from one of our listeners who said he's running a great uh, campaign. He is the former nationally syndicated ra- radio host at Little Rock's KRN, uh, KRN-FM. Many of you probably are used to his voice. He's got a great voice. Uh, but he lost a job because he refused to take the vaccine, uh, the COVID vaccine. So that says something about him, I do believe. And he joins us again this morning to tell us how, how things are going. Good morning, Doc. Hey, good morning, Sandy. It is an honor to be back on American Family Radio, an honor to be back on your program. Really appreciate it. Well, my pleasure. So what's happening in Arkansas? Uh, I know you have an uphill battle. You're running against Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and she's got uh, all the oxygen, probably, in Arkansas, pretty tied up. <laughs> Explain what is happening. Well, everywhere I go, uh, when I speak, when I get my message out uh, about drastically cutting the size and scope of our state government, uh, we're very overtaxed to try to get them off our back and out of our wallet. When I talk about uh, being sick and tired of Walmart, Tyson, and the Arkansas Chamber of Commerce shoving their liberal ideology down our throats, I have people come up to me after meetings and say, well, we were supporting Sarah. Uh, but we're definitely going to be voting for you now. The latest development. Now, we all know, and I'm sure you've talked at length, about the unprecedented leak of the draft decision from the U.S. Supreme Court suggesting there might be a 5 to 4 vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. Well, after that, there was a pleasant surprise when Mitch McConnell said, you know, uh, some state legislatures clearly will be voting if Roe is overturned. Uh, to uh, regulate, restrict, even outlaw abortion. He said, and you know, we could try to do the same thing in the U.S. Congress. Next thing you know, our current Arkansas governor, Asa Hutchinson, goes on ABC This Week with George Stephanopoulos and says, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want a federal law against abortion. That has to be left up to the states. It's the, it's the, uh, the principle of federalism. Now, look. I know that the federal government overreaches in many ways, but I think trying to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not a federal overreach. And so Aza Hutchison basically has said, I'm pro-life all these years, 
comes out as pro-abortion for the blue states. So I challenge my opponent, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, on Facebook to finally criticize this governor. She wouldn't criticize him for anything else, including vetoing a bill to save children from puberty blockers. So I'm like, Sarah, would you please just criticize this decision? And she comes back with a 30-second commercial saying, I'm not going to apologize for who I am, and my opponents are trying to destroy me. And I did another Facebook Live. I said, look, Sarah, you've only got one opponent. That's me. If telling the truth and trying to encourage you to do the right thing is an attempt to destroy you, I, I can't help you with that. Next thing you know, she gets an endorsement from the Susan B. Anthony List Pro-Life Political Action Committee, the PAC, and her friend, uh, Ms. Dannenfelser, says, well, I'm proud to endorse my longtime friend, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And uh, we were all just sitting here wondering, well, did you ask her if she agrees with Governor Hutchinson that abortion should still be legal in blue states like California and you know, and New York? Well, of course not, because if being pro-life was that important, she probably would have gotten the endorsement a year and a half ago instead of, you know, ask for a favor just a few days before a primary. So it, it's interesting. Um, one state representative who's running for re-election was asked about the gubernatorial campaign yesterday, the Farm Bureau meeting in Northwest Arkansas. And this guy, who I will not name this morning, but he's been teaching Sunday school for years and years, said, well, even Jesus couldn't beat Sarah Huckabee Sanders for governor at this point. And I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus can do whatever he wants. Kind of reminds me of when they said about the Titanic, even God couldn't sink the ship. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. But win or lose, what we're about is trying to glorify God in our campaign. So, Doc, what's the energy like in Arkansas? Is there a lot of grassroots energy, or is it just like a this is a fait accompli that Sarah's going to win and uh, or, or, or is there energy in, in rallies? What are, you, what are you seeing? There, there is a lot of energy, and we hear from people every day who say, wow, this is great. I had no idea that she that there was an alternative. I didn't realize that she had an opponent. And so I'm running all, all over the state. I introduce myself to people, say, hi, I'm Doc Washburn, a Republican running for governor, unlike my opponent, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I do actually answer questions and talk about issues. That's why I'm here and she's not. You know, you run into all kinds of candidates running for all kinds of offices, but you will not run into her because she only does photo ops. She's terrified of answering questions uh, or talking about issues, for that matter. And everywhere I go, I get a really great response. And uh, it's exciting because I've told people I don't need $14 million, which is what she's raised. If I can raise 1% of that, I'll get my message out to enough people we have some really sharp people working for us. Our YouTube videos have almost a million views now, uh, and we've been using Facebook and Google and, and actually you know, had a few uh, bucks to buy a few commercials on, on talk radio, including the station that I was fired from uh, <laughs> for refusing the vaccine last fall. So did you, did of, you have to wear a mask when you did them? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just had to ask that question. <laughs> no, but speaking of masks, Speaking of masks, about a month ago, the Arkansas State Supreme Court ruled that if a school district wants to force mask your children from three years old to 12th grade, they can do it, and you as a parent have no say-so. I immediately uh, condemned that unconstitutional action, said I'll sign an executive order, 
If I'm elected governor on day one, I'll sign legislation um, telling the school districts you can't force mask anybody. I challenged Sarah to at least address the issue, and a month later, she's silent because, again, she will not go against anything Walmart, Tyson, the Arkansas Chamber of Commerce uh, say to do. For that matter, the the bill that Asa Hutchinson vetoed uh, last spring, which is overridden by almost all the Republicans in the state legislature, to protect children from the chemical castration, the puberty blockers. It is tied up in court. Why? Because the Arkansas Chamber of Commerce sued the state of Arkansas over it, and she is silent. She won't say anything about it. All right, let me just say, interject here, Doc. Um, I have to say, um, I don't know Sarah well, but I have known her for a long time. I supported her dad in the primary way back when he ran for president sure. initially. Right. Uh, um, but... Um, Sarah, if you're listening, and if anybody listening in Arkansas uh, would agree with this statement, Sarah is so good on her feet. She is, she, of all people, can answer questions. She is more than capable. She's articulate. Uh, She's winsome. Uh, And so there is no reason why she won't answer questions other than she doesn't want to give you her answer. Uh, she's trying to hide, and that's really, really upsetting. That's disturbing. There's no other reason why she wouldn't answer the questions that Doc has posed and others have posed. And so those of you that support her, I suggest that you get on a bandwagon of some sort and ask her uh, to have an open forum where she answers questions that will affect you. You will be heartsick if you elect her for governor and she turns uh, to be the same way as Asa Hutchinson, who at one time in his life, I remember, was actually very good, but not anymore. And so uh, if you want to stop that, I think you need to think twice about supporting her. Either that or let her get out there and say for herself what she really feels. Uh, I think Doc is right to challenge her on a regular basis. Doc, you have the last word here. Yes, ma'am. I also challenged her recently because she refuses to say whether she thinks the election of 2020 was stolen. I challenged her to watch 2,000 Mules, the Nash D'Souza's uh, documentary. Uh, You know, you can't watch that and say the election wasn't stolen. No response from her camp. Anyway. Right. Um, okay, well, hang on a Doc second. Doc Washburn Show. Doc Washburn Show. And what, what was the, the site that you just gave? Uh, our, our website, if you want to contribute to the campaign, is electdocwashburn.com. Electdocwashburn.com. All right, there's always expense, Doc, and so I would encourage people to help you. Uh, just for, for your courage for running and doing this. It's a very big deal, very courageous. Just demonstrates your great character, once again, like your refusal to, to get the vaccine. And so my hat's off to you, Doc, and I hope you do really well next Tuesday. Thanks for joining us. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.